Um, so welcome, you guys are listening to Naked Comedy. I'm DJ Intern Sam, and today we have Duncan Trussell with us. How are you, sir? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad that everything is working out with the interview stuff. Um, so how have you been lately? What have you been up to? Um, well, last night I watched the very beginning of the Emmys and wanted to kill myself. Oh, yeah, I, I, I've learned to just not turn it on anymore. I get high hopes, and then when I listen to it, it's just, it's just bad. Was there anything particularly upsetting? <laughs> well, their big, like, their big clever idea they had was they were going to have it hosted by the top five reality stars. Oh. This thing today, so... The, those guys, and I can't, it was like Howie Mandel, and I, I wasn't familiar with the rest of them because I don't usually watch TV, but uh, they all came out and stood in a row, and their big funny joke was, we seriously didn't prepare anything. We really got nothing. Yep, just didn't, we were eating, and we tried to come up with something, but we don't even have anything to say. <laughs> and it was just like dead silence oh, in, the, in the East. Not that that's, I mean, shocking or anything. Yeah, it's, but... It's like, a celebration of foulness anyway, but it was just like even worse than it usually is. And it's not like I'd sit around and watch the Emmys or anything yeah. every year. I just wanted to watch the, these Emmys. Because, um, <laughs> I've been depressed lately. Oh, that's thought it not good. Experience the depression even more. <laughs> you know, it's good for that. Um, even yeah. though it's kind of upsetting, but at the same time, it's so upsetting. It's, it's almost good. The I love money show. Have you ever seen that on VH1? Yeah, I just saw, I think there was a preview for it last night. I, I saw something, something. I it's think. actually ending, but it's, it's one of these shows that's just, it's so bad. It's so, and it's so blatant about its, its message, you know, like, we're just here for the money. It's so honest and bad that it's, it's good. That's the only one that I'd recommend ever watching. <laughs> I love money. I love money. Even the title. Even the title. I love money. <laughs> I'm not lying. That's the title. <laughs> um, it is? It, yeah, it's what they did was they took a bunch of the reality girls and guys from the dating shows they had on VH1, like I Love New York, Flavor of Love, all that stuff. They took like the favorites and they put them on a show where they just compete for money. And that's that's oh, pretty wanted, much. The show. I, I, that would be a great thing to say. I'd love to say that I love money. I really mean it, and just be laying on a pile of cash. That's that's the, the intro for the show is pretty much like cutouts of them rolling around in money. Like it starts off on a high note. <laughs> I always wanted to roll in money, but then the reality of it is that money has been sitting in people's pockets, and it's more than likely covered in all kinds of grotesqueness, and urine, yeah, just tears, you- blood. Rolling in money is an invitation at hepatitis to enter your body. <laughs> Think about it. Well, I mean, I wouldn't really expect that these people really care that much about that, so <laughs> it's probably okay with them. Um, yeah, yeah, they're the ones getting the money sick. Yeah, so it's it's totally. I mean, you probably it's probably something in the contract that decides something about that. So I'm sure they're they're well aware of what they're rolling in. Um, but back to you. Given we're that all aware of what we're rolling in. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> that is, it is part of the problem, but it's also kind of breeding a new, a new consciousness for it. At least, like it seems that nowadays people are a little bit more, at least, aware of their their situation, be it horrible or just somewhat bad. I guess Let's it's a hope. step. I guess it's a step towards it. Um, 
But back to the matter at hand, you. It's all about you today. All um, right. Let's start off with a basic question. Um, so where are you from originally? North Carolina. Really? Yeah. With with Zach Gaspifanakis? Gaspifanakis. <laughs> uh, not from the same area, but um, kind of close. Uh, I, I grew up in a place called Asheville, which is in the mountains. Oh. Is there is there like a... I don't know. I, this is going to sound probably stupid, but is there a comedy scene there? Like I've never really no. thought about it before. And well, then... at, least, it, at least when I was there, there wasn't. There certainly wasn't a stand-up comedy scene mm. there. No, there were open mics and hippies would read poetry and stuff at coffee houses, but there wasn't any kind of stand-up scene um, at all. At least. Yeah, no, there wasn't anything in Asheville. I never even heard of a stand-up comic coming there the whole time I was there. Hmm. So how did you how did you get like the determination like I'm going to be a stand-up if nothing was going on? I moved to LA uh and <clears throat> I ended up getting a job at the comedy store. Hmm. And at the time I didn't have any intention of being a stand-up comic. It it just uh seemed like it'd be an interesting place to work, a comedy club. Seem like a, if you have to work, why not do that? <clears throat> and I, I started working there and then hanging out with comics, and I just started doing stand-up and really, really, really loved it and couldn't stop. It's kind of addictive. <laughs> that's really that's really actually kind of cool. Um, this is kind of surprising to me, but I kind of did the same thing. I got a job at the improv and just was like, hey, it seems pretty cool, and then that's how I got into this and what led me to interview you. Very oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I like it like that. I'm, I mean, I, I love the the story, like the mythological story. You'll hear some comics like, "Ever since I could listen to records, I knew I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and I was going to come to Hollywood and be a big comic." But that's that always seemed like such a suspicious, boring story. Not that I didn't listen to comedy when I was growing up. Like I loved Bill Cosby, and I remember laughing really hard at Bill Cosby albums, but my parents were way too repressive and passive-aggressive to ever give me the confidence to think, I'm going to be a comic one day. I was like, well, one day I might be able to get a job somewhere. <laughs> I think that's the story. I feel like that those romantic stories of people starting a comedy, like, my mom worked at the comedy store and I spent my childhood listening. It doesn't happen as much anymore. People just are coming from, I think, but that's a good thing. I think it's kind of nice that there's this it seems like this new group of comedians it's coming from really just humble and random you know places yeah. like they're all coming from different places and making something that people can enjoy like the same kind of people can enjoy yeah i think yeah definitely i think it's more of a well and it's the, it's changed so much you know stand up has sort of devoured itself it seems like over the last few years yeah. but it's i mean definitely I, not the same thing i I think that I'm a little too... It might have been right before my time that this change happened, because I've heard a lot of people talking about the change in comedy. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, like how you saw it happen? <clears throat> well, it was... Um, it, it's kind of... If you if you look at the comedy in the 80s, and especially the comics that, you, you know, became famous, uh, Robin Williams, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Roseanne Barr... Gallagher, if you look at a lot of those comics uh, at the time, I mean, we look at them now, at least I look at them now, and, and uh, they don't seem funny to me. It just mm -hmm. seems kind of uh, clownish and like, um, 
you know, too schlocky and character-y. Yeah. And, uh, but at the time, um, I think that they were sort of doing something that was new, newish to mm-hmm. people like that. No one, no one had really been doing that. And, um, and so in the sense that no one like Gallagher was smashing watermelons on stage. I can't believe he's doing that. That's crazy that he'd do that in front of people. And it was, I think it really blew audiences mind to see someone kind of dressed up in a silly way, doing something that crazy. And, but then as comedy began to evolve, it, I, I feel like it's sort of splitting away from this idea of taking on an uh, amplified persona or some uh, bizarre character. And now uh, it's becoming more of uh, a kind of trying to accurate, accurately reflect your true self on stage, yeah. which is far more difficult than doing a, a character or a, uh, a persona. And so a lot of the, the new comics that started coming out um, David Cross, Bob Odenkirk, Janine Garofalo, uh, Marilyn Ricecub, that they were doing this more subtle form that wasn't so much so much of this crazy dancing around like clownish insanity and more of a kind of intimate discussion with the audience. People have called that uh, in the past, it was called alternative comedy, but yeah. I feel like that's entering the mainstream more. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the original definition of alternative comedy has almost evolved into its own kind of thing. Like I feel like alternative comedy really started with um well not even started, but I know that at least here it seemed to have been defined a lot by like people like Bob Odenkirk, people like Beth Lapides and the Uncabaret. Yeah. Yeah, Bright Citizens Brigade, and now they're becoming their audience has become so much more diverse. It's becoming its own its own popular thing, its own mainstream thing. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it definitely has, and that's it's really great that that's happening because you know how they always say that there's sort of in culture. I don't know if this is true. I've never really studied it, but they say there's sort of this pendulum swing that happens where things will go in one direction, things will be very conservative, and then things will become very liberal. And maybe that's sort of like I think in art that can happen to some degree where you know that one style will emerge and become powerful and they're wildly popular, and then what happens is the people who originated that style kind of move on or, um, or or stop doing it, and then they're followed by people who are imitating the style, and those people usually do pretty good too. And those people are followed by people who are imitating people that were imitating a style, and then at that point the art begins to collapse and atrophy and become sort of mediocre and whenever that's happening usually other people are, are reacting to to what they're seeing from the sort of uh decay of one art form will rise up a brand new form of the thing and the cycle keeps going on and on and on like that i'm not positive about this <laughs> uh, but i think thomas jefferson actually had the same kind of theory about uh about democracy and the idea that every seven years or 20 years i can't remember there's a certain amount of time it's 20 it's 20 years what's that it's 20 years yeah every 20 years there should be a revolution right yeah it's it's like a i remember i was overhearing a social psychologist talking about this um but they were saying yeah the the theory is that every 20 years there's the generations change you're either actionary reactionary or just stable so the theory is right now we're in like the actionary stage. Our generation, um, being from like, I think being born either 
from 1970 to like the late 80s, that generation is supposed to be the, the actionary, the change generation. And then the cycle would go the generation that kind of like enjoys it and then the, and the generation that's going to be very against it but not doing anything. I guess that's the very basic description of the theory. That's pretty cool. That's And I think that works with, I, to some degree, that works with art, uh, I think. And um, maybe not in the same time frame, because it seems like everything's moved, every day moves faster and faster. But, yeah, so there's a new, you know, the, hopefully there's, my, my deepest hope is that um, the consumer is not someone who's innately uh, dumb or who's even been stultified, if that's a word, by, the, by media, but is actually somebody who just kind of takes the best thing that's available to them. Yeah. And so I, I, I always think that maybe like in the in most people are really, really smart and that they want to start seeing stuff that's really, really smart in the stand-up world. Not last comic standing, not these six-minute, uh, you know, not these six-minute sound bit bites of, of a comic who's got, you know, a few minutes to make three judges smile. That's not stand-up comedy. Yeah. You know, stand-up comedy is usually a long-form uh, mix of philosophy and uh cultural observation and uh, stuff coming from people that have gone really far out on the fringes of society and are bringing back some knowledge that most people haven't heard. That's what I've always thought of it as. Yeah, I mean, I think that that sentiment is shared a lot by people, and I think that's one of the reasons that this new kind of more honest, uh, that's how I've kind of described this more honest comedy has come to be, because there was an audience of people who were kind of not satisfied with the comedy out there, and eventually, but once these new comics started coming out that were just like, hey, you know, let's just do something real, you know, they they had an option for something to like. And so it wasn't, a, it wasn't any more like, well, everybody's laughing. I guess I'll laugh too. It was, I don't find this funny. I find this other thing funny. It became like a culture of people who found like this other thing funny. And I think that that is also helped by the fact that it seems a lot of the comedians like you and Natasha Leggero and uh, Neil Hamburger, that whole group, you all kind of seem almost like, like your friends. Like it seems like a community that we get to yeah. experience. Like is that true? Like how does that, how did that I come about? It's certainly a community. It's definitely a, you know, the yeah, it is a community. And it's fairly close-knit. Um, and, 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 you know, it's because you just want to, by, by being around other people who are, who are funny and who are, are trying to redefine the thing, you, you begin to learn in your own way how to apply that to your own, to, to your own style. Because um, I know that it just, you know, hanging out, hanging out with someone who I really respect or someone who I consider to be really funny, I'll leave that, uh, whatever we were doing, with some new jokes, definitely. Just because a lot of jokes emerge just from conversation yeah for me it's like if you go some comics everyone has different styles of course and some comics go and i guess they'll they'll go to a cafe or sit down at their computer and try to write jokes but i've always felt that that's that that's just never worked for me um what works for me is uh long naps <laughs> then uh a conversation with somebody that I think is funny and then maybe something will come out or just watching the news. I get a lot of my stuff from watching the news uh, or thinking about the apocalypse. <laughs> that's definitely, that's definitely on everybody's mind. 
I have my money on 2012. If I I call it and someday some other planet finds its recording, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it. Listen, I hope it all gets. I hope it all happens. (laughs) I hope the particle accelerator blows us up. Anything would be better than Sarah Palin and John McCain getting elected. Uh, I would. I would. I would like a cosmic frog to eat the entire planet and have to deal with four years of listening to that idiot yap. It's going to be the worst if they get elected. I, I, I'm not going to say anything only because I don't know as the DJ what I can say exactly on the air. Oh, you're, so you're not a, that's the funny thing. Like when I was watching the Emmys last night, I was just waiting for one of the more like John Stewart or somebody to come out and say, "Are you kidding? How are 50 percent of you apparently voting for Palin and McCain?" There's apparently 50% of this country, or close to 50% of this country, who can who who just buy into what. Are what these like saying. the newest polls, or? Uh, I think Obama. Last I checked, and I haven't looked oh. today, but Obama's ahead a little bit now. But oh. even if let's say that Obama was, uh, I don't know, ahead by six points, that would still indicate that a vast group of people in this country want McCain and Palin to. to control things and that's to me is beyond horrifying because it's like that like we just were at the brink of what appears to be a uh the new uh great depression and we're in a no one wants to say that no one wants to talk about it but yeah we're it's it's about to be the new depression where there was a really funny thing i was watching i don't remember which news source but they were talking about this big bailout plan that's happening where the government's going to pour like $80 billion of, you know, this money, tax money. They're going to pour $80 billion into bailing out Wall Street. And this guy who was interviewing someone about it said, well, what happens if that doesn't work? And there was this long, awkward pause. It was the pause you've ever seen. And he's like, well, you know, we're going into it just thinking it is going to work. Uh-oh. But what, what that pause said to me is, if this doesn't work, then we're done. Then you might as well get your hobo stick and fill it up with some cat food. I've, I've stocked up on hot dogs track. already. I'm good for the next. What's that? I've stocked up on hot dogs for the next two months. Hot dogs, coal, whatever you eat during the Depression. Hot hot dogs and coal. But that's that. The it definitely seems like probably what's happening is the powers that are existing are doing. Excuse me, I'm crying. I'm just <laughs> kidding. The powers that are existing are doing this bailout because. Uh, they want McCain because they know that if, like, the economy seems temporarily good, McCain stands a better chance to get elected. Yeah. And then right when he gets elected, the whole bottom's going to fall out. It's Anyway, that's the stuff that, like, sucks my mind, uh, takes my mind away for hours just thinking about what a creepy time period we're in. I think it's it's interesting, though, like, it may be because we've reached an age where, like, we can realize it, or maybe it is just all... Maybe all the games that they played, all the underground stuff, is just coming above ground. I feel, I feel, and this probably won't make it on the air, but I feel like all the the games of politics, all the secret negotiations, have just come out in the open. It's to that point where it's like we're not going to hide anymore. Like let's just do it, and that that has made people both scared and understanding, and kind of like I guess we'll go with the flow. Like it's a very strange time we're living in, but it does. Start Wait, a lot of thought. You can't say what you just said on the air. I don't. I don't know really. Um, it's kind of strange. It's uh, 
there's certain things that like you you know could say or somebody could say in a CD that we play but as the DJ representing the station there's some things that I can't say yeah really yeah it's amazing it's the the FCC it's one of those things like you know it's college radio we don't have the money really if anything ever happened right. to do it and the it's not even just our college it's the whole UC system if if we mess up the whole thing is down right. we're screwed but so that makes you really on edge and the law you know like any laws are written to the point where well this could be okay but it could also not be okay and I understand. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of scared. You could tell at the, at the Emmys that people were wanting to say things, but you get the, you got the feeling someone had told them you can't say anything that's yeah. partisan. I feel like I've read some interviews, since you mentioned Stephen Colbert before, um, I've read some interviews before because, you know, his fan base is intense. Like, they, they love him. But they have mentioned before that um, sometimes people don't under- people forget that Stephen Colbert is a character, like, strictly defined as a character. So when he is at the Emmys or when he is making a personal appearance, he can't say nearly as many things as he can say as, quote-unquote, Stephen Colbert. And that's that's kind of, it's kind of scary. Yeah, it is kind of scary. It's, you know, yeah, it is. It is scary. And it's it's a kind of fear that uh, we've had the luxury of not having to deal with um, for most of our lifetimes. And that's why everyone's so lazy and, and, and fat and completely uh, and not really able to do anything. You know, like you'll see like the, the acts of civil disobedience. The, the most I've ever seen is the, the what's it called, uh, where everyone gets on their bike and rides down the street. Yeah, or everybody like wears that. black or yeah, people don't go and, to school, that kind of stuff. Things are good, but that's not enough. But, you know, and, and that's the real problem is that um, people don't understand that real freedom, not the ambiguous freedom that uh, McCain talks about or Palin talks about or the, all the soldiers who went to Iraq to fight for freedom, that's a lie. They're not going to Iraq to fight for freedom. We all know that. It's a complete lie. It's a group of people who've been trained and brainwashed to go murder strangers so that we could have control of oil supplies, and everyone knows it. There's no question about it. Like, we all know it. If you have half a, half a, half a brain, you, you can recognize that that's the truth. So that, that's all, that kind of freedom that they're fighting for is imaginary freedom. Those are lies. That's a lie of freedom. Real freedom is being able to exist in a country where you can uh, get educated regardless of how much money you have, where you can have health if you get sick. That's real freedom. Real freedom is being taken care of by the universe because rich people aren't sucking all the resources away. That's true freedom. And to get that kind of freedom, you don't get it from voting. That's the kind of freedom you get from actually having a revolution. That's why revolutions happen. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all I think we're all just waiting for that day when somebody's somebody is going to stand up because I think it's like there are people who believe this. There's a lot of people who want to do stuff like this, who think like you do, but they can't they just can't get it together. They can't do something. And I mean, I'm as guilty as any of them. You know, I'm not out there with my fire and pitchfork and stuff like that. We all we all are, you know, we all are guilty and it's not it's it's kind of our fault, but we have been getting some pretty intense conditioning for the last 
however many years you've been alive, and you've been being, you know, as long as you've been sitting in front of the television watching advertising or God, you know, just drive down the street, and your visual field will immediately get filled with images that are being being created by massive corporations that just want to suck your life energy away in the form of money. So once you've been going through that, for however many years that we've been going through it, you're not exactly in a position where you have a mind that could, you know, plan a revolution that would work. Like, they have Apache helicopters and weird new magnetic weapons that, like, you know, crowd control weapons and, like, sci-fi things that are, are designed to keep that from ever happening again. It's very, so, it's very I, scary. It's even... Um, it seems like the job of government is not so much to lead as much as it is to keep people in a nice hypnotic state, just enough of a hypnotic state so that they can pretend that they're not slaves. And the moment they don't do that job enough, that's when people start doing weird stuff and start wanting to rise up. But as long as they keep it just like, no, you're totally free. We have people fighting for your freedom. Yes, you're working three jobs just so that you can eat. Yes, that's exactly how slaves used to live. Yes, you're, you're really a slave, but we have great movies coming out this winter. And guess what? All the new animated movies are going to be in really cool 3D. So just relax, slave, and live and die while we float around in our yachts and enjoy the incredible pleasures that come from being in the elite. That's what it is. I mean, I think that's the game. I mean, I think, I, again, I don't know if this response can get on the air, but I think that that is true. It's really kind of one of those things, like, we've gotten to the point where a lot of people realize what's going on, and you're not sure why you're not doing anything, and it's because you don't have the ability really anymore to do it. Like, you need to... I mean, we are kind of in this mindset that isn't built for that, isn't built for writing, isn't built for marches and stuff. And I think once you realize it, that's the first step to getting yeah. over it. And I think that's one of the reasons... This is this is a really weird transition. I'm trying to do it, but it's going to be really weird. Um, okay. One of the reasons that this new comedy scene <laughs> um, came out, because... In a way, you guys do talk a lot a lot about this kind of stuff. You guys do talk about the issues at hand and not in a, hey, let's make, you know, not in exactly in a, hey, let's make jokes about it way, but like, like kind of bring it to your face. And I think in a way, that's like the first step, you know, the first way yeah. to get the idea across is through laughs because it's like a safe zone. It's like, these are all jokes, but they get the seed of truth across. And yeah. I think that might be one reason people really, really are coming to like enjoy you know starting to really get into this kind of thing let's talk about your current projects what are you doing right now well i'm working on um i've been i've been working on a show i'm in the second season of this show with uh called stupid face which is a comedy sketch show oh yeah i I read about that online a little bit um so i'm a (laughs) producer on that and they we just make really bizarre two-minute sketches for them (laughs) Is and it, that's, what, that's what's been taking up a great deal of my time. Is it um, is it on TV or is it online? It's on TV. Oh, what channel? I think Fuel TV is like, I, I don't know where it is, but I do think it's deep, deep cable. Oh, uh, yeah. Deep beneath the ocean of cable. <laughs> so Down the shipwrecks. So who's um, who's involved with it? What What's it like if you had to compare it to another show for our listeners? 
it's it's like kind of a combination of a but the really cool thing about it is that it's they really give uh the segment producers free reign to do just about anything. So you get this mishmash of, of really quick, bizarre stuff. It's not they they're not using the normal kind of corporate system where I guess you'd have writers who write this stuff or writers who write it and the network approves it and then you shoot it. They just let us go and shoot stuff. And then they'll give us notes and we'll have to edit edit the stuff from there. But it's a really weird show because you're getting this kind of ADD mix of animation and sketch and all kinds of weird stuff. And the great thing about it is it's, you know, the segments are usually two minutes, so if you don't like one of them, you're quickly into another one. Uh, how long is the show, how long is it total? Uh, 30 minutes. The last season it was an hour, but they cut it down to a half-hour show. Uh, well, attention spans are dwindling. Yeah. But that's really cool. Like, I... I feel like nowadays, since you can do that, you can go out and just shoot something and deal with it afterwards, there should be more freedom for it, because it, it doesn't cost much, you know, and with the freedom, people are just excited to do it. Like, it, it's a really good opportunity. I think it's cool that you can do something like that. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's, and it's, you know, you learn a lot about how to how to produce comedy for television, which I, I didn't know how to do that before I started doing the project. Um, but, it's yeah, it's lots of fun. And really, uh, really educational. Really, you know, the thing, the thing that I like about it is it kind of reminds me of the, the way things are working on the Internet, which is that you can, you know, if you shoot something that's two minutes, there's this weird chance, and I don't know what the chance of it is, but there's weird, a weird chance that it can go viral and millions of people will watch it. And that's something that I really, that has, like, really fascinated me. And I guess Stupid Face in some way kind of reminds me of that, even though the content is uh, has a you know a much more production value than what's on the internet, it's still kind of going by the formula uh, that internet videos seem to be going by, which is that they all have to be around two minutes or three minutes um, if, they, if they're going to go viral. Yeah, I think. Well, I think what's kind of cool about that too is the the notion that shows and stuff should be made to translate over the internet has, in a way, it seems like it's brought back the, the art of sketch shows, you know? Because now that is the idea, like, make these individual little things that we can break up and play everywhere, which I think is, is awesome. I mean, do you... Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Agreement, yeah. Um, all right, well, okay, and so you're doing that, but I here have seen that you're also working on... Uh, curating a show putting together a show yeah organizing I'm, I'm a, show. On a show in a graveyard at hollywood forever cemetery i still uh, have a beef with that graveyard it's called comedy is dead comedy is dead and why why there i mean that's a it's a really interesting place cool place to have a show why did you pick that place well i i was some time ago i was watching last comic standing and i was blown away by how terrible it was, uh, the, the, how, you know, the comics on the show, some of them I, were really, really good. Like, some of them that I, I know are really, really great comics, but because they were being forced to perform in this rigid format where there was, like, you had three minutes or four minutes to do your material, and, uh, it, it seemed to be catering towards just hacky, mainstream mediocre jokes and like if you wanted even a, if you wanted a chance at success you almost had to dumb your stuff down and abbreviate it and it was just this 
like a it reminded me, you know how the satanic black mass is, <laughs> is uh, where is uh, basically the Catholic mass, but in reverse, it's crosses upside down, and yeah. people are humping on the altar, and <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just, a, and it, that's what it reminded me of. It was like a black mass for stand-up, where they had taken this form that was this beautiful, incredible form, and just perverted it, and they were calling it the same thing, but it wasn't what it, that's not what stand-up is. So I thought, well, comedy's dead. I guess comedy's dead. This is going to set comedy back. Comedy's dead. It's a dramatic thing to think. But then I thought, oh, I should do a show in a cemetery with really good comics as a kind of uh, funeral for stand-up comedy. Like the last few remaining really great comics have them all perform in a cemetery. So I sent an email to um, one of the uh, to the vice president of Hollywood Forever Cemetery and. Uh, told him about it and told him about my idea for this show, which was I only wanted to put on the best comics. And um, I, I, he invited me to come look at this Masonic Lodge that, he had, that they just refurbished on the property. And it's beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful space. And so he and he's been letting me put a show on there. Um, but he's really strict about the comics that we put on. They have to be really, really good, and they can't be. Uh, no vulgar, no vulgar, dumb, hacky comics. Just really good comics. So, yeah, this this lineup seems really great. The energy, the energy in the room was so real. Everybody was just having such a good time. It was, it's really good what you've done. It's really a cool thing, and I hope it goes on. I hope you can get enough comics for it to go on for years. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I think I think we'll be able to. Uh, I, I yeah, comics. There is some part of a lot of comedians that's kind of innately dark, and uh, comics want to perform in a graveyard. They like the idea of performing in a cemetery, and so it hasn't been a problem getting getting any comics to. No, it hasn't been a problem at all. Uh, and my hope is that when they start finding out how beautiful the space is, that they'll even more of them will come. Yeah, um, that's that's one of the things that does kind of surprise you when you go in there. It is, it's such a perfect space. It's. I don't want to give it away for anybody who is going to go to the show because it's really cool when you first see it, but you did pick, like, the perfect environment to do that in. And I think all the comics can, like, they seem to play off it, too. They seem to get energized from it. Well, yeah, because, you know, the, not to sound really weird and su- superstitious, but <laughs> the Freemasons really knew a lot about sacred geometry. And since this is in a this is in a Masonic temple and it's in the place where they did all their stuff, ceremonies, I get the feeling that it's set up in some Masonic feng shui way that just lets the comics really channel their energy into the crowd. Um, that's the feeling I got when I was on stage. It, it feels like it's a room that you can do really well in because the energy is really focused. And they really, really uh, remodeled the place and worked really hard. They put in a really nice sound system, too, so it's cool. Yeah, well, I think... I think it's a really great thing that you're doing. I think that I can't wait for the next show, the 25th. And then after that, it's going to be, do you have a schedule yet? It's going to be like bi-weekly, bi-monthly? Third Thursday. I believe it's the third Thursday of every month. So it's a monthly thing. It's a monthly thing. So the next one is on the 30th. All right. And Um, do you have a a website for people to check it out at? Yes. The website is comedyestmort.com. Where did that name come from? Comedy Est. More. Uh, the Jay, my partner, uh, who who uh, works at the cemetery, is um, really into uh, old French comedy. Mm. And that's what it comes from. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. So, um, and I don't, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to fully answer that question without sounding like a complete idiot because there's a whole history to it and tradition to it. Uh, and, uh, I think it's called the Grand Guillaume or something like that. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't understand enough about it to talk about it. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to get him. But if you come to the show, you can ask him because he'll be there. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, so this was, we were talking to Duncan Trussell with his TV show, Stupid Face, and his awesome live show, Comedy is Dead, at the Hollywood Fever Cemetery every third Thursday of the month. Uh, it was awesome having you on the show. Thank you. Hopefully it was awesome for you, too. It was. And it was extremely awesome. We hope to hear some more of your stuff in the future, maybe on the show. Okay, cool. Well, I'll see you on Thursday. All right, cool. Thanks for talking to us. Right, bye. Bye.